Well, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, we're taking a break from our series in John 13 to 17, uh, particularly this week because of communion, but I also may take a little bit of time out next week because I have some things on my mind that I want to speak about next Sunday as well. But for today, Psalm 32. I would imagine that most of you use a GPS when traveling, right? Am I the only one? I would imagine, right? Okay, yeah, now I see some shaking of the head. You plug in those coordinates of your destination, then you sit back and let it direct you. But let me ask, what happens if you go the wrong direction? (laughs) Yeah, the person, usually it's a woman, programmed into the system tells you that you are going the wrong way uh, to turn back and get on track, or she just gives you some new coordinates, (laughs) new direction. Well, in Psalm 32 here, you have this glorious testimony of David who was going the wrong way spiritually. But through God's grace working in his heart, he made a U-turn and he got things right with the Lord. And I want you to see this in Psalm 32, the first five verses. So follow with me as I read. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of scripture. Psalm 32 is classified as one of the penitential psalms. This and Psalm 51 are the key ones which are related to David's adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah, her husband. It's recorded for us in 2 Samuel 11. However, Psalm 32 follows chronologically after Psalm 51. As David looks back to the lessons that he learned regarding his sin and the joy of forgiveness. This is why I believe the psalm is referred to by the heading there as a maskil. It means a contemplation or a word of instruction. And indeed, that's what you have here. You know, beloved, as believers, you too, as well as I, have testimonies of God's grace to your heart and lives. Not only of salvation, but also of being delivered from sin, victory in your everyday lives. You bet we do. And it's these special blessings which God wants you to share with others for encouragement, for instruction, for exhortation. 
You want to be of help to the next generation of believers, just as David was to his generation when he sinned. And how the Lord worked in and through that to be an encouragement to God's people. And so I want you to consider with me this morning three lessons, three simple lessons that David learned regarding his sin so that, first of all, you might be led in the way of holiness, but also be a faithful witness of God's mercies to your heart and life. And these lessons that I'm going to share with you, you've heard before, okay? These are not new. You've heard them probably several times. But they are good reminders, especially as we are taking the Lord's Supper. But even as we walk with the Lord, because we we battle with sin, do we not? Sure we do, all the time. And so we need a message like this every once in a while, just to remind us that we have God's mercies, just as David did when we sin. And the first lesson I actually want to begin with starts in verses 3 and 4. And I'm starting there because verses 3 to 5 is what led to what David said by way of testimony in the first two verses. So what does it say there in verses 3 and 4? When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. What lesson do you notice here? It's simply this. There are consequences to your sin. There are consequences to your sin. It is said that from the time that David sinned with Bathsheba and Uriah to the time he actually addressed it in Psalm 51, it was about a year. A year. That's why he says there in the first part of verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin. There was a time where he was simply ignoring it, not dealing with it. And yes, he was covering it up, trying to cover it up. Well, as a result, David experienced physical and emotional calamities. That's what you see there in verses 3 and 4. He went on to say there in verse 3, My body wasted away. My body wasted away. Likely, he was not eating or sleeping as a result of the guilt that was on his heart. Also, he said that he was groaning all day long. He was miserable. He was crying out in distress, shedding lots of tears. And then in verse 4, he confessed that his vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I just love this poetry here. Here he is trying to explain what is going on in his soul as a result of his sin. Literally, the Hebrew says there that his life juices were dried up. He had no joy or strength, but was miserable. I mean miserable. 
Look with me over in Psalm 31 where he references this again. Verses 9 and 10. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body is wasted away. Sometime this week, read Psalm 38, 1 to 8. He goes even into more detail about the calamities that he was experienced, both bodily and emotionally, because of his sin. He wants the reader to understand that there are consequences to sin. What you have here is the chastening hand of God upon the believer. David even said at the beginning of verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You see, you can't be God's child and get away with your sin. You can't. If you're God's child this morning and you're sinning and you refuse to turn away from it, yeah, you will experience the chastening hand of God. Look with me, if you would, to Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews talks about this at length. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses 5 to 11. Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. He says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so it is because of God's love and care for you that he disciplines you. And how he does this is up to him. It's not always the same with each believer. It can be different. But no, if you are a true son, you cannot get away with your sin. God sees it and he will address it unless you repent. And it's all for the purpose of drawing you back to him and bearing the fruits of righteousness. You remember how it was when you were younger, being disciplined by your parents? They did it. Why? Because they cared for you. They loved you. They didn't want you going down the wrong road. And so they would correct you to bring you back. That's what the Lord does. It's His grace in our lives, and we should embrace that. And as a result, if there's sin, and there is because of the discipline, then repent and know His mercies and His grace. 
And so, beloved, could it be right now you are receiving the correction of the Lord through the consequences of sin? Sure. I believe that's very possible here this morning. So don't let pride or your sinful desires lead you down a very hard road and keep you from addressing your heart. Instead, may the love of God penetrate your heart and lead you to please Him. This first lesson is so important. Capture right dead center of this paragraph. There are consequences to your sin. It is the chastening hand of the Lord. This brings me to the next lesson. And it's captured there in verse 5. Look what he goes on to say. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. We'll stop right there. What seems to be obvious? What's the lesson? There needs to be confession of your sin. There needs to be confession of your sin. This is in contrast to what David said at the beginning of verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin. Yeah, there was a time of that. But now you see him doing what? Confessing. Acknowledging it. Praise the Lord. Yes, he finally came to the point of no longer concealing, hiding his sin, but confessing it before the Lord. How did this come about? You might be able to answer that question. Well, first of all, I want to say this up front. David was a believer here. Okay? What does the Bible say of him? He was a man, what? After God's own heart. He was a believer. And when he's speaking here, he's speaking as a believer. And as I said a moment ago, if you belong to the Lord, God's not going to let you get away with your sin because you're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. Second, as already noted, another reason why this confession took place was because God disciplined him. We see that there in verse 4. You know that. But then there's another reason I believe that this came about. And it's not recorded here. We find it in 2 Samuel 12. God brought Nathan to rebuke him. We're not going to take the time to read uh, 2 Samuel 12. I would encourage you to read that this week. Just to kind of give you briefly what is said there. Nathan comes to him with a parable. Uh, and declaring to him what some man had done. And David was infuriated by the story. And he wants to do something about it. <laughs> and Nathan points his finger at him and says, You're the man. You're the man. Can you imagine in that moment? Wow. So the Lord used Nathan to rebuke him. And then through all this grace, David saw his sin as God saw it. It was evil. It was corrupt. It was rebellious. And he cast it before him. 
What you see here in verse 5 is a man who no longer wanted to remain in his sin, but to turn from it. You bet you do. I like what Proverbs 28.13 says, and you should all have this memorized right along with 1 John 1.9. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Isn't that wonderful? You bet it is. It's good for our hearts. You know, a beautiful illustration of this is Jesus' parable with the prodigal son. I want you to turn there to Luke 15, just for a moment. I'm just going to read through a few verses. Luke chapter 15. And I will say up front that these parables that Jesus is sharing here in Luke 15 are about salvation. They are. But the application can be made here for the believer. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. Luke 15, beginning with verse 11. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And they, there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And when he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But as we know, he experienced the mercy of his father, didn't he? That father is a depiction of God with us. We can know that mercy. And so, beloved, are you holding on or concealing some sin in your life? Well, I want you to know that God sees it. And really, in the end, that's all that matters, right? You'll have to answer to Him. And so fear Him by confessing and forsaking your sin. Otherwise, you will know the chastening hand of the Lord, if not already. There's rescue here. The Lord wants to offer it for you. So will you turn to Him? If you're holding on to some sin, concealing it, just know that God sees all. There are consequences to your sin, and so there needs to be confession of your sin. 
Those are two lessons David learned, but there's something else. And we come to the joy of this section of Scripture there in verse 5. What does it say at the end? And you, speaking of God, forgave the guilt of my sin. This recalls actually how he began the psalm. What does that look like? Verses 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What's the clear lesson there? (laughs) It is obvious. There is cleansing for your sin. There is cleansing for your sin. And how wonderful that is. Amen? Oh boy, we need to do that again. How wonderful that is, right? Amen, yes. Cleansing for sin. Wow. Praise the Lord for that. And this cleansing here is expressed by David through a number of phrases that are speaking synonymously, but just from a different perspective. He wants you to know clearly of what cleansing looks like. He began by saying, whose transgression is forgiven. He ended this paragraph with the same thing. The word forgiven there means to lift up and bear away. So God cleanses repentant hearts by taking the burden and guilt of sin away from them. It's kind of like removing a backpack. I would imagine that some... If not, most of you have carried a backpack sometime in your life. I did a lot of backpacking in Montana. I'd go on these three-day trips, and I'd have these 60 to 70-pound backpacks filled with all sorts of stuff so I could make it for three days. And I could remember coming to certain places and just pulling that backpack off and going, Oh, man, I could just walk around. I mean, it was like I could jump fences. My My legs were just... Free! My back was free! (laughs) This is kind of what David is saying here. This burden of guilt that's just weighed down upon him has been taken away. And then David said, whose sin is covered. Covered, as it were, by the blood of an innocent substitute. As you know, in the Old Testament, there were sacrifices that were offered in Bloodshed to satisfy God's wrath upon sin and to cleanse from sin. And of course, these sacrifices pointed to the once for all sacrifice being Jesus, as Hebrews tells us, right? Yeah. But also David expressed here to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Impute is a banking term which speaks of bringing to one's account. Well, God, through Christ, canceled the debt of sin the believer owed. It's no longer on his or her books, so to speak. (laughs) We're no longer accountable. It's been taken care of by the Lord. You see, a price had to be paid. And Jesus, in His grace, paid that price so that you and I would not have to pay that. So we are positionally saved, but God has made provision. (laughs) 
for that forgiveness on a day-by-day basis. Wow. In fact, Christ replaces it with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And finally, David wrote here, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is simply about having a pure heart because one has come clean with their sin. A pure heart. And so this man, after God's own heart, not only came to know God's blessing, His cleansing in salvation, but also, as we see, He embraced it in His everyday life. You see, because he dealt with his sins sincerely and appropriately, the joy of his salvation was restored. In fact, that's what he says there in Psalm 51. It was read this morning by Gary, where it says, Psalm 51, beginning with verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. See how the Lord can use you when a heart is cleansed? Think about that. It's no wonder that David said twice here what? How blessed. How blessed. (laughs) He was exclaiming how happy he was that his guilt was gone and that peace reigned in his heart. I'm trusting that you can say that this morning, not only in salvation, but even in your walk with the Lord when there is sin there and you're not dealing with it. And then when you repent and you know God's cleansing, How blessed. How blessed. You are happy from the inside out. And that's when God can use you to minister to others. And as David said, sinners will be converted. (laughs) Wow. Beloved, I would venture to say that this is where you want your heart to be. Right? At all times? (laughs) Unfortunately, sin interrupts things in our hearts maybe some of you have lacked peace in your heart and fellowship with god my heart goes out to you it really does because that's not god's will for you his will is for you to know his peace so may god help you to address your sin as david which actually is summed up by one of my favorite passages in james james 4 8 to 10 listen to this Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. In other words, be repenting. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will what? Exalt you. Yeah, you will know His cleansing, His forgiveness, His mercies. You will be able to say, how blessed I am, how blessed I am.
You know, back when I was in Bible college, I had a friend whom I played basketball against in high school. And when he came to college, he had a lot of issues in his heart and life, a lot of sin there. In fact, he, when he came to school, he had told me later that he had serious questions about his salvation. But then the Lord used a paper that he wrote in school to turn his whole heart around. The paper was entitled, Who Am I? Who am I? I had to write that same paper as a freshman in class. And we had to answer that from the Bible. Well, as he wrote that paper, two passages came to his heart in answer to that question, which the Lord used to turn him around. Those two verses are 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, where it says, Or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We've been bought with a price. What's that price? The blood of Jesus. We've been bought. We belong to Him. We have His Spirit. And then 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And so this morning, who are you? As you sit here, who are you? Are you a professing believer? If that's, is that what you claim? Well, then your body is not your own. It belongs to God. He bought you with a price. And you are to abstain from wickedness as his child. Well, today, you and I come to communion time as professing believers. You belong to God and he calls you to abstain from wickedness. I would ask you to let the lessons that you heard this morning compel and lead you to examine your heart and life. And again, these lessons are those that you've heard time and time again, just today from a different perspective, through a different portion of Scripture. And those lessons are this. There are consequences to sin through the chastening hand of God. And so there needs to be confession for your sin, which leads to cleansing for your sin. I trust that you will know those lessons not only today as we go into communion and you examine your hearts, but even as you leave here today in the week and month ahead. Let these lessons pour over your soul to have a heart that's right with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and In this song of David, who shared this wonderful testimony of your grace to his heart, I believe, Lord, that all of us, as true believers, can identify with David here, where there's been times where we kept silent about our sin. But by your grace, you moved into our hearts. You disciplined us to draw us back so that we might repent of our sin and know your cleansing. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And so may these things that David learned, 
be the things that we learned and practice in our day-to-day life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.